All right, what's up? We are at the 83rd installment of the Unplugged Alpha podcast series. It is a wonderful night. I had a great Easter. Got a lot of sun this weekend, and we're talking about money on this one. So over on my Instagram, the link to it is it's somewhere in the about page of uh, my channel. There's this new uh, broadcast uh, channel they let you set up, and I was running a couple polls, and it seems there's a lot of interest in some topics around money, so I'm creating a three-part series on that topic for you guys. Um, some of you don't may not know this, but in my prior life, I ran uh, Canada's most successful debt settlement company. It's, it's still around today. It's been running for about actually uh, 20 years this year. I started in 2003. How about that? Um, anyway, I did a exit with my uh, brother. He pretty much took over. We still do some work together and um, the business still runs. Um, it's eliminated. Uh, I don't know. Last time I checked, it was like $120 million worth of credit card debt. Um, very, very effective process for getting rid of debt. So this is kind of my wheelhouse. You know, I, I'm one of those guys that knows things about stuff and I don't always talk about things about stuff that I know about. <clears throat> and I got started in credit and collections probably around 1992 or three. Um, I was living in England for a few months in my early 20s. Didn't want to stay there, decided to come back to Canada. A friend of mine said, oh, this place is hiring and you get to wear a suit to work. I thought, oh, that would be cool. I was 22, 23 years old at the time. I was probably about 22, actually. And uh, I went for the interview. They hired me. It was a collection agency. Uh, first day on the job, some, was he Slovakian? I can't remember. Georgievic was his last name. I think it might have been Croatian. Anyway, this guy behind me just screaming, like spit is hitting me in the back of the head. His buddy yelling. That's just how they ran back then. So I've had a lot of exposure to that industry, dealing with the creditors, dealing with every aspect of that work. Before I get into the credit aspect of this podcast show, I want to talk about the origin of money in this series. So in this one, we're covering the origin of money and credit. And the next one, uh, we'll talk about investing. And uh, I think the other popular topic was making bank. It seemed to be what you guys wanted most of the information around. Now, if you're not on my TOA broadcast channel, just go to my Instagram. It's the underscore unplugged underscore alpha so yeah you guys wanted <clears throat> top interested topics were how to invest money how to become rich how credit works uh borrowing money and what money is so i'm going to combine a bunch of these there'll be time for call-ins tonight so uh i'll drop the link pin it in the youtubes if you have any questions you guys can just drop them in the chat or super chat them um let's get started so <clears throat> The origin of money. Um, it's pretty simple to explain, actually. You know, we've been operating as nomadic hunter-gatherers for a very long time on this planet. And commerce, that is exchange of, of goods and services, it's probably relatively new. Uh, the advent of agriculture, roughly 10,000, 11,000 years ago, depending on who you ask. But let's say it's, you know, 10,000 years ago. Um, played a big part in the creation of uh, money. So what money is, all that money really is at the end of the day, I don't even have my wallet here to bust out a bill, but you know what a 
$20 bill looks like. All that, all that that paper money is, is a store of value. I want you to understand something. The only reason why $20 has $20 worth of buying power today, and I'm talking about the US dollars, you know, so the greenback. The only reason why it has $20 worth of buying power today is because people universally agree that it has $20 worth of buying power today. You give a $20 bill to an alien, to a crow, to any other animal on the planet, it's absolutely useless to them. They wouldn't even know how to wipe their ass with it. It has no meaning to them. It has no bearing. It's only humans that it has some sort of exchange of value to it. Now, the reason why money was created was to store value. So let me paint a picture for you. Let's go back in a time machine 10, 11, 12,000 years ago. And people were operating and, and shifting into their little tribes, right? And there was a guy that was maybe good with goats. There might have been another guy that was getting into blacksmithing. There might have been another guy that just started into agriculture and he was farming wheat or something like that. And some of those items are perishable. If you're a blacksmith and you're making horseshoes for horses, horseshoes are pretty durable. You know, you can you can buy a horseshoe and leave it on a shelf and it's good for a long period of time. It doesn't degrade. It might rust over time if it's exposed to certain elements. But at the end of the day, it's 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 very durable. Other things that are perishable, let's say wheat, you harvest wheat, it's it's perishable after a certain period of time. If it's not stored properly, if it's not made into bread or other uh, goods, for example, um, and that that value diminishes rather quickly. So they had a problem. Animals die too, obviously. You know they can get sick. Um, you know, so they had a problem. You know, there's there's certain things that people wanted from others that were perishable and there's certain things that were durable. So they need to figure out a way to store that value in something because maybe when the guy needed horseshoes that was growing the wheat, didn't have wheat to trade because it wasn't ready to be harvested for another three or four weeks or something like that. He didn't have any means or ability to go and buy horseshoes for his plow horses, let's say. Just making up this story, but just sort of give you an example. So they had to figure out a way to store value in something. Throughout history, they've stored value in seashells, gold, obviously, you know, precious metals, gold and silver, copper, you know, stuff like that. They've stored value in uh, tulips, even at one point. I thought that was, you know, a good store of value. And then all of that, you know, pivoted and shifted over time into things like, you know, paper money and credit. And, you know, now we have digital currency like Bitcoin and stuff like that today. So the... The long story is rather long, and I'm not going to get into it, you know, bore you, but that's essentially what money is. It's just a store of value. So whenever you come across somebody that's got a lot of money, they didn't steal it from people, generally speaking, you know, for the most part. If they've acquired a lot of wealth, then they've stored a lot of value in money, which means they've provided a lot of value to other people, right? The reason why Elon Musk is the richest guy in the world is because he's assumed the NASA contracts that the space shuttle used to do. And he's throwing satellites into orbit like it's going out of style. Uh, he's got the, I think the heaviest lift rocket that's ever been built, you know, in history. Uh, he makes electric cars, solar panels, like dudes up to some good, right? So, you know, he's created some value in the world, world for people and he stored that value in money. That's all that money is. Uh, 
Now, money's got a lot of messed up properties, if we're being honest, you know, because the way the government can print unlimited quantities of it. Um, and I'm not gonna gonna propose that I'm smart enough to break down all of these things in simple terms for you guys. I'd suggest watching uh, YouTubers like George Gammon. I like to have him on every every few months uh, on my main channel just to sort of chop it up and catch up what's going on with the economy. But that's essentially, you know, the long and short of it. That's that is what the history of money is. Um, Jack, that's an interesting super chat. How many times did you fail before a million dollars? I don't know. All of my life until I got the million dollars, I would say. Um, early 30s, something like that. Um, you're going to fail a lot more times than you win, you know, when it comes to making money and creating wealth, but we'll, but we'll save the creating wealth one for another episode of the unplugged alpha. That'll, that'll probably be, uh, number two or number three. So you can keep an eye out for that one later on. Anyway, uh, welcome to the new channel members, guys. Appreciate you joining and supporting the channel and all that good stuff. So the other parts of the show that I wanted to spend some time on is around credit. Cause that's, that's the main way today that people are using money, uh, the masses, you know, if you will. And again, I started out in the credit and collection industry. Uh, I left that in 2002, three, I think it was 2003. It was the start of 2003. I started my business February 8th, 2003 is when I incorporated it. I know that. And I took a package and I went home in November of 2002. And I talked about that part in my book, The Unplugged Alpha. If you guys are new to the channel, Get the book. It's on Amazon. Uh, there's an audible version that I narrated. The book's also getting updated too, by the way. There's going to be a first edition update out later on this year. Uh, and there'll be a special announcement with what's going to follow after that. And then there's a second book coming out towards the end of the year. Uh, that's going to fill in a lot of the stuff that should have gone in the first book. Um, anyway, back to the credit stuff. So 2003 kicked off total debt freedom you can go find the website totalatfreedom.ca if you're in canada and you have uh, about 15 grand worth of credit card debt uh and what you're doing isn't working it's worth checking out it's a very effective program um and in my opinion it's better for most people that want to avoid things like bankruptcy or stupid plans like credit counseling the 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 credit and collection industry is, is fascinating like i know it like the back of my hand um there's probably been some modern updates to it that I'm somewhat out of touch with in, in the last couple of years, uh, but I could certainly, you know, get my brother on a show or just pick up the phone and call him and, you know, get some clarity on, on something that might have a modern update. But it is a messed up world, the way that credit works. Okay, so I'll, I want to spend some time on this because credit today, let me just get the total debt service ratio of what's, what's happening right now. Um that service we'll just use it in the u.s because uh I know that most of you guys watching are in the states that servicing ratio in the u.s uh we don't want that um no, they have a different name for it now. We used to call it something else back in those days. I'll pull it up after I'm finished my notes over here. Anyway, so the history of credit goes back to 1950. 
It's a rather new phenomenon. Okay. The good news is all this credit has fueled massive amounts of growth in the economy. But the bad news is it's come at a, a cost. And I and I saw it firsthand. You know, like, like I said, I did credit collections from about 1991 up to about 2002. Um, it comes at a cost. A lot of people have a lot of credit card debt. And the thing about credit card debt and, and credit itself, and I'm going to deal mostly with credit cards, you know, in this show. Although a lot of this is applicable to things like, you know, credit that you may borrow for mortgage or for a business loan and stuff like that. But credit card debt seems to have um, the most issues, if I can put it that way. Um, so currently, and I've got a few notes here that I took down before I created the show earlier, 470 billion card transactions happen per year. That's on the earth entire planet 470 billion credit card transactions per year but then to put that in perspective there are less stars in the milky way than there are credit card transactions in a year uh, the average american has two credit cards which i think is probably a little bit low i think this data is a few years old now um i've got at least three or four i think um so two sounds a little bit on the low side uh, there is currently 820, no, sorry, there's 930 billion in credit card debt in the U.S. right now. And just, let's just put that in perspective. I don't even know if my calculator will go up that high. What's the population of the U.S. right now? Use the damn phone. It's probably muted in the typing out. I can do it with one hand. What's the population of the United States? In 2021. So 331 million. Okay, be quiet. <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to work on this calculator. I don't have enough zeros. Anyway, the numbers are astronomical. That is a lot of debt per person. Let's see if I can do it on the Google calculator here. Come on, calculator, work with me. Yeah, we're talking 28,000 per, per head. Um, so 1950, we went from a cash-only economy. In some places, there was layaway. That was where you would go to a store. My granddad used to tell me the story. He wanted to go get like a sweater or something like that. You go to the store at Marks & Spencer in the UK, put down a quid, Go back the next week when you got your next paycheck or two weeks when your next paycheck came in, put another quid down. And in a few weeks when you paid it off, whatever, four or five quid at the time, they would they would take the sweater home sort of thing. <clears throat> in 1950, it changed with the Diners Club card. This guy, Frank McNamara, was the guy that invented the first credit card. Apparently, he was at a restaurant and uh, forgot his wallet and saw a need he was a marketer, he was a businessman, and he saw a need for um, a credit issuing card. So in 1950, Diners Club card was invented. That's probably one of the oldest credit cards. Well, that is the oldest credit card. But he but he built it around specifically restaurants, hotels, and rental car companies. 
were the first um, establishments to accept the Diners Club card. In 1958, so eight years later, later the financial institutions caught wind of this because so many of these uh, Diners Club's cards were getting moved around. They saw an opportunity to make some money. The average um, it, interest rate on a credit card, according to the stats that I pulled, says 16%. That seems a little bit low in my estimation. Um, I think the data is probably stopping around 2020. So we're 2023 right now. Inflation's high. Interest rates are higher. Uh, the rate of inflation is rather high as well, too. I, I would estimate the average interest rate on a credit card today is probably in at the 20 percent 28.8 percent is very common on retail store car cards here in canada anyway so if you go to uh walmart canadian tire best buy home depot any of those major big box store chains i'll get to all these super chats in a second by the way um your interest rate is going to be about 28.8 percent when you start going into the higher risk loan areas where the bank won't issue the credit to you in a line of credit, stuff like that, um, 35, 38%. I think the usury cost of borrowing is still just under 60% in Canada. So 59.9%. Um, payday loan companies start pushing in, start to push into those types of territories. Um, so I don't trust the 16% that I saw here because even when I was running my debt business, the average consumer that was struggling with credit card debt had quite a few 28.8% interest credit cards. So some of this, some of these digits here that I'm looking at seem a little bit low in my experience. Um, 1958 Bank of America. So at that time, this is interesting. One in five never paid back the credit card balance that they were issued, right? Um, they started with a small target demographic in, I think it was Fresno, California. Then they went to the entire state and then they went nationwide. Uh, but Bank of America lost $9 million. This is in 1958, by the way, issuing these cards because one in five people weren't paying them back. Credit cards make money, by the way, usually with an annual fee and... Um, a merchant fee for the transaction. Merchant fees are usually a small percentage. Um, some of the credit cards like Amex, for example, tend to have the higher merchant fees, two, three, four, five percent maybe. The other credit cards are usually like one and change. Again, it all depends, but that's how they're making their money. They're also making most of their money now off of um, the interest rates. And something that I found interesting, I was, I was one of those guys that when I was running my, my credit card debt relief business, I would, I would start going down these different rabbit holes because there was a lobbying effort that I had to do for two years on Bill, 50, uh, Bill C-55, I think it was called at the time around 2011. Uh, for those of you that are Canadian, Jagmeet Singh was a critic on it and I sat across the table from him many, many times. Wasn't impressed with any, any of the politicians that I dealt with. All, all a bunch of garbage humans, you know, to be truthfully and, and honest at the end of the day. But I did a lot when it came to infusing myself in the very fabric and the veins of credit issuing practices. Um, they're predatory in my estimation. They, they would strategically issue credit cards to the youth because they knew that you give a 21-year-old a credit card versus giving a 61-year-old a credit card, 
the 21 year old is probably going to be more irresponsible with it because we love delayed gratification. Sorry, we don't love delayed gratification anymore. We like instant gratification. And because the interest rates are so high, they can have that 21 year old on the hook for the rest of their life paying interest versus a 61 year old, which has a much shorter lifespan. So a lot of the marketing strategies that seem to target more of the youth. This is in the 90s and 2000s, you know, and, you know, time after that. This isn't what was happening in 1958. They were they were legitimately just passing out credit cards because they saw it as a good opportunity to increase profit margins. Um, credit cards were then introduced in Europe, starting in London by Barclays Bank in 1966. But it was marketed as a status symbol to the super rich. So the English have a different approach to credit card debt. So for example, in 2019 in the US, there's $930 billion worth of credit card debt outstanding, but the United Kingdom has less than $100 billion in credit card debt. Granted, it's a smaller country, but proportionately, it's it doesn't it doesn't align with the amount of debt that's outstanding. I always found it interesting, you know, how how cheap the English were always uh, considered. They were always mocked for being, they used to call them stingy. Um, the Europeans that would come and visit the English or in, or in England or to immigrate into England, especially if the women started dating the men, they used to mock them and call them stingy and stuff like that because they wouldn't spend a lot of money. They wouldn't turn on the heat in the house. So, the, so, so in the United Kingdom, they have a different philosophy when it comes to money. Like it's Like it's considered over there uh shameful to have debt to some degree and i think it seems to translate into today's uh world because clearly the amount of debt that's outstanding over there is a lot less than what it is in the united states um get back to my notes over here another thing i found interesting was that studies have shown that people that so if you have the choice between pulling cash or your debit card out and buying with what's in your bank account or buying on credit and paying it back in 30 days, you'll spend up to 100% more than paying with cash if you use credit. Um, McDonald's studied this very, very uh, closely, and they determined that 55% more was spent at their restaurants when people were encouraged to use credit cards over, over cash. So like the, like the psychology of... of people using credit is insane. MIT did a uh, study that showed there's a massive release in dopamine when buying things with credit versus cash. Interesting that is, eh? Tonight's beverage is a, uh, it's a bone broth. I'm trying to increase my protein intake. So probably about 15 to 18 grams of protein in the bone broth, but it actually tastes pretty good. So it's, uh, it's like a chicken spicy Thai sort of uh, bone broth, you mixing some beef broth in there. It's good stuff. Anyway, so that's a little bit of the history of uh, credit card debt. By the way, China, so the United States has $930 billion worth of debt as of 2019. In 2019, China has $1.23 trillion worth of credit card debt. Russia started issuing credit cards, looks like in the 70s. Um, they're used worldwide. Let's just... Let's just call it what it is. You know, they're used worldwide. They're a very, very effective tool. Now, going back to what I was talking about earlier, 
I was one of those guys that would, you know, I would deal with a lobbying effort. I would deal with the creditors. I would deal with the collection agency. I would audit uh, calls. And I also did it on the other side of the spectrum when I was running my credit card debt relief company, because rather than dealing with credit card companies or student loans or car loans or sundry items, they, they collect on everything in collection agencies. One of the items that was, that was highly contested or like seriously problematic for the banks at one point, I don't know if it still is today, if they still allow it or not, but they used to have these sundry items. And what this was is that, you know, when you go to an ATM and you put your uh, paycheck in an envelope and you put it in the bank and then you could make a withdrawal for, you know, let's say that check was for a thousand dollars and you wanted to pull out two or 300 bucks. You could go and do that. I've never done that before, but that was done a lot by people, except for what they would do is they put empty envelopes into the ATM and then they would make a withdrawal. So they never actually deposited a, a check or they would put in uh, a fake check or an unsigned check or just a piece of paper sometimes in the envelope because the envelopes had these little holes. So there was readers in the machine that would try to like pick up that there was something in the envelope. So they try to counter it with that. So there's all this like counter push pull that's done with credit card companies and, and credit issuers. And at the end of the day, it never really seems to cost them any money, does it? Right? Like you never see these big banks go out of business over credit cards. And there's a reason for that. It's because they're highly profitable. They make more money. I'm trying to get the exact numbers, but I, I think it was like low 30%. Like they make about a third of their money off credit card penalty payments. So interest. So if you if you turn over your credit card statement, I don't even get printed statements anymore. Actually, hang on a sec. Maybe I have one over here. But if you turn over your credit card statement, um, and you look at the back of it, no, these are all banking. Uh, on the back of it, there's a section that that reads how we apply your payments. And the sequence in which the people that you owe apply your payments to the balance that you owe outstanding goes to interest, penalties, late fees, um, if there's cash advance charges. So they've got all these penalties and fees, and then they hit that first. And then before it goes to your principal, they take care of any of those outstanding issues, then it goes to your principal. And then when it's going to your principal, it's, it's after you're paying, you know, like most credit cards are 19 to 23% here anyway. Uh, retail cards, like I said, they're about 29% and other cards are about 35% or higher. Um, so most of it does go to interest. Um, we used to do calculations with people. Like the way that we would pitch our debt settlement business as a bit of an insider. And by the way, you can read all about all of this. I have a book on Amazon. It's like less than 10 bucks. I wrote it like 11 or 12 years ago. Uh, just go to Amazon and search for Richard Cooper uh, DIY Debt Settlement Guide. And I talk specifically about how all of this stuff works and how debt settled and what options are and all that sort of stuff. It's applicable worldwide. Some people say, oh, this only works in Canada, right? This is going to work. It works everywhere. Okay. Like I've, I've had people in Europe and other places in the world tell me yeah, they can settle debt anywhere. So it, it, it works. Okay. Like, <laughs> trust me, I know what I'm talking about with this stuff. Um, so they're so they're essentially engineered to keep you in debt. They are they are tools of 
finance companies or financial instruments that are designed to make you make monthly payments for pretty much the rest of your life. We would run these calculators. Like the average customer would have, the average customer that we would enroll would have something like $32,000 worth of debt. We wouldn't deal with people with less than 15,000 because it didn't make any sense. It would, it would cost us money to do the work. So generally in those situations, people were either recommended to go file for bankruptcy or if they had strong enough cash flow, just to, you know, pay it off in like a snowball effect, like these other uh, debt consolidators or like the Dave Ramseys of the world, be a man and, you know, wife her up, and, you know, pay your bills in a snowball method or whatever is the avalanche method. I'm not a big fan of that guy. He's a bit of a dork and he gets a lot of things wrong and he really doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to stuff like credit and debt settlement, to be honest with you. Um, anyway, so they would come in with like $32,000 worth of debt and we would take a look at it based on their plan. We would call it their plan. And the average time it would take somebody to pay that back would amount to, on average, I think it was about 35 to 38 years following their plan. Okay. Um, and again, their, their plan is to encourage minimum monthly payments. So at the bottom of statements, it'll say, you know, your balance is $3,000. Your minimum payment is $83 and 12 cents. And it's due on this date. A lot of people just make the minimum monthly payment. They're not thinking about the consequences or the cost of paying all that interest. Cause there's nowhere on a statement that will tell you exactly how much you'll pay over what period of time. If you follow their plan. There's some updates done in the legislation here in Canada anyway that, that made some changes to improve that to make, try to make it a little more transparent. But the truth of the matter is, on their plan, thir the $32,000 would take an average like just under 40 years to pay that off, making the installments that they were doing. And it was really easy to identify because when you're talking to the customer, you'd be like, hey, have you seen the balances come down in the last 12 months? Not really. It's been the same. Hasn't moved that much in the last 12 months. Okay, well, when we would punch out the numbers and see what we could do with our settlement strategy, they'd be out of debt in like four to five years for something like 60 to 75% of what they owe, everything included, okay? So for every dollar that's owed, they pay like 75 cents back, let's say max. It's, it's pretty compelling, right? And the credit card companies, the financial institutions, they've kicked and screamed about people finding alternative ways to get out of debt. They don't like it. They don't like it when people do it themselves. They don't like it when they hire others to do it. They want people in debt. They want to keep you, they want to keep you under their thumb. Their thumb on you making payments for as long as you possibly can. If you're 21 years old, take as much credit as you can get, pay it off whenever you feel like it. Just follow the plan, right? All right, let me get to some of these super chats here so we can do some live call-ins in a second. Um, pursue a career in law enforcement. Uh, Rajan, I'm going to invite you to go look at my, I think it's a Playing to Win podcast, somewhere on YouTube. So around the time when things were burning in the United States, when Trump was president and there was a George Floyd issue and cops were hated. Um, I brought on a panel. There was about eight cops on the panel, I think, maybe something like six to eight cops. There's a number of them on the panel. I just put it on social media. I said, hey, guys, I want to do a show, uh, show with the uh, law enforcement. Um, 
you know, is anybody available to hop in? I got a bunch of DMs and I brought all these guys in and they're all cops. Um, they, for the most part, stayed anonymous. I think one guy was retired and he didn't really care. Um, but overwhelmingly, most police officers discourage any man today from entering into law enforcement. Go watch the video for details. Again, just look it up. Just look up, you know, Rich Cooper podcasts, um, law enforcement, is it worth it or, or something like that? You'll probably find it. And the TLDR version is you're going to be hated by everybody. You're going to be mistreated by everybody. The compensation you get isn't worth it. People will abuse you. People get hurt. Cops die. Um, it's just not worth it. You know, it's, it's not a good job anymore. That may have improved since I did that podcast a few years ago, since things have cooled down a bit. I don't really see it, all right? I'm always very respectful to law enforcement whenever I have to deal with it. Whenever I have to deal with it, it's usually because I drive fast cars, and um, things happen when you drive fast cars. Uh, so I'm always very respectful and polite uh, and courteous, but at the same time, I would not like even if you offered to pay me half a million dollars a year, a million dollars a year to be a cop, I wouldn't do it. It's just, I just wouldn't do it. Um, Phillips says, Hey Rich, at what point in forming an LTR should there be, should the desire to not get married be expressed by the guy? I feel like he's cutting himself from a large swath of dating pool. Thanks. I wouldn't announce it unless like it's brought up. I mean, like not all women want to get married, right? Um, a lot of today's modern women, like the boss girls, they think that you should sign a prenup with them. They, you know, they, they think things like, why do I need a man? I don't need no man. Um, so why even bring it up? You know, if you're, if you don't have any intention of getting married, you don't, I mean, think this through for a second. You have a dating app, you put in your dating app zero chance of getting married or on your first date you say look i have no interest in getting married uh and if that's on their agenda you're gonna have a hard time dating right it's a numbers game so if you want to improve you know your exposure pretty much every chick that i dated after i got divorced not every but a lot of them were all about i want to get married i want to get married you know they'd see me I'm in good shape. I got lots of money. I'm influential, all that stuff. And they'd see me and they'd start poking at me and start talking about marriage at, at, at some point. I just be like, no, I'm, I don't see any benefit to it. Sell me on it. You know, like what's the benefit, right? Or if you're around other people and they, Hey, you know, when are you going to wife her up? She's a good girl sort of thing. It's like, you tell me what the benefit is. You know, you sell me on the benefit, right? They can't, there's no, there's no sales pitch. They just start stuttering. Right. So bring it like discuss it when they want to discuss it. If if they want to discuss it is the way that I would put it. Thoughts on opening a gym. Is it elf? No, it's not a it's not an elf business. Uh easy, lucrative, and fun is what the acronym is. Uh Joe Polish brought this up years ago in his I Love Marketing podcast. Loved it, which is why I've talked about it. Um the School of Entrepreneurship course, by the way, it opens later on this month. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it open uh, the first of May. Uh, where's my banner for my email? Uh, so get on my email list below. The ticker's down there is entrepreneursandcars.com forward slash red dash flags. I'm gonna have a special offer on the kickoff day. 
when the course opens for enrollment. Um, nice little discount for people on my email list. Uh, paid in crypto. Okay. I'm going to make that clear. But no, uh, anything that it look. So, in my estimation, when you're dealing with a physical establishment, like what happened during the last scandemic of 2019, right? It wasn't too long ago that you couldn't sit down in a restaurant that my gym was closed. They they shut down the gym. And when they opened it up, you only had an hour to work out. You had to stand on dots outside like a fucking idiot. Half the facilities on the inside weren't even working. You couldn't use the sauna. The showers were closed down. Um, you had to walk around with a spray bottle and a cloth and wipe shit down. Like a lot of people just stopped going, right? It was around that time that I found a guy with a private facility and I started training there. And I also bought my own gym equipment, right? Like I found a guy on, uh, I think it was Facebook Marketplace, who was a welder, and he built me a squat rack. Um, and I just went and picked it up, put it in my basement, ordered some weights and bars and shit. Like fit, the problem with a physical location is they can shut it down. Um, you can't, if you don't like where you live, like if the country you're living in sucks or it's going south, and policies are changing and they're going in a direction that you don't agree with, are you going to pick up your gym and move it to the next country? No. You want, generally speaking, if you want a business that's easy and fun to run, you want to, you don't want to be anchored to a location. You want to pick up and be able to go to the next location. Um, when you're anchored to a country or to a region, or demographic, whatever it happens to be because of a, because of a physical business, um, you're dealing with whatever bullshit they want to throw at you. Uh, quite a few of my friends during the scandemic just said, I'm out. These lockdowns suck. You know, they lived in parts of the world where they were locked down. They were forced to wear masks. Uh, people that were employees were forced to get experimental jabs. They had no idea, you know, that if they were safe or not. They were lied to, you know, for the most part. Um, you know, we found out over time that they've been neither safe nor effective. When you're stuck in a physical location, then you are at their mercy. And I don't think that that's a good business. So opening a gym, in my estimation, do it if you like, you know, if that's your thing. But keep in mind, physical rent, space, insurance, E&O, slip and fall people, employees. You don't need many of those things to run a highly profitable business. It's not ELF at all. Um, well, you guys have a lot of... Law enforcement. Did I get this one? LTR, Jim. Yeah, okay. So we're doing Dave Ramsey. And is I, look, I don't like Dave Ramsey. The guy's a Muppet in my opinion. I've watched enough of his call-in shows. Like his strategy basically is the dead snowball, the dead avalanche. And that's fine, okay? If if that's the approach you want to take, you want to you know drink his Kool-Aid and get drunk on it and be a man and, you know, marry that war pig. Like I've, uh, there's a video somewhere on my other channel where this guy calls in and he's like, you know, I've been living with my girlfriend for a while and, you know, we've got a bunch of this debt and I've, you know, I've been working on your method. Dude hasn't paid off his debt in the years that he's been following this stupid method because it really doesn't work. Then Ramsey's advice to the guy is, well, why are you playing house? You got to marry this girl up. You know, you got to do the right thing and be a man. 
And this girl is, she's total disgusting train wreck the way that he described it, right? Like not even close to being remote marriage material, let alone, you know, like anybody that's going to add any value to his life. Didn't work, didn't do anything useful, completely out of shape, you know, so obese. She was in one of those stroller chairs. Don't even get me started on this guy. Look, if you have credit card debt, in my view, look, just get my book, DIY Debt Settlement. Search it on Amazon, Rich Cooper, DIY Debt Settlement. It's less than 10 bucks. I don't have print or Audible. It's Kindle only, but you can get Kindle readers for any device now, so you can read it anywhere, so there's no excuse. I break down all the debt elimination methods. There's debt consolidation. There's bankruptcy. There's credit counseling. Uh, there's the debt snowball methods or the avalanches or whatever you know it is that he wants to call them. They all do something to some degree, but they're mostly ineffective. They just don't work. The only two methods that I endorse is bankruptcy or debt settlement, or if you have the means to pay it off quickly, because you can throw lots of money at it and just pay it off, right? But bankruptcy is for people without any assets or very low um, assets on their balance sheet. You got 100 grand worth of unsecured debt, and you got 20 grand worth of assets. Most of it you can generally keep with insolvency law. I don't know what the law is like in the United States, but most of it you can generally keep. You can keep a car. Uh, I don't know what the numbers are today, but back in the day when I knew them, you could keep keep a car worth up to $5,500. If you had tools of the trade, like a snap-on tool chest, because you're an auto mechanic or you're a welder or you're a plumber or somebody, tools of trade you could keep, right? So most stuff you would generally end up keeping anyway. And you get rid of the debt because you have no assets, right? Like, like the bankruptcy route works. If you've got assets and you don't want to invite creditors into your life, because basically when you file for bankruptcy, you're giving assets and liabilities to a bankruptcy trustee, and then you're paying that guy to give as much money back to your creditors as possible that's written in the legislation. With the debt settlement strategy, you have a lot more privacy, a lot more control. It doesn't do nearly as much damage to your credit. And if you have assets, there's ways to deal with that. So look, I get he's popular. I'm never going to be that, you know, that popular guy that, uh, you know, sells you on the Ramsey or the, who's the other nerd? Um, Susie Orman. I've seen all their shows. Uh, don't. Look, if you guys are following me and you like my stuff, that's all I'm going to say. Just, just go read my book, the DIY debt settlement guide uh cavalier 25 year old worked as sales engineer for six months lost job took new job this month as an engineer but want to go back to sales engineer uh is it bad to job hop if i find a great se job remote i know i can excel se okay chase james are waiting so here's the thing about really the questions about you know switching jobs very quickly let me get the link for you guys to call in too. um copy all right, so don't worry, I'm going to finish your, your uh, super chats first. Let's <clears throat> get this link up here so you guys can queue in and uh, keep it on the topic of money. Okay, let's not get into chasing the girls. Um, keep it on the topic of money, please. So I'll pin that at the top of the YouTubes. Um, so his questions about you know switching jobs. So. 
on that notion, I'm going to use women as an example. So on that notion, if you're dealing with a chick that you're entertaining to enter, to invite into your life, whether that's long-term relationship, to have children with, whatever it happens to be. If you're dealing with a chick that you're contemplating entering into your life, but you see that she's been with a lot of guys in her past, a lot of notches, she's not a good prospect, is she? Why? Because women that have been with 50, 100 guys, a lot of dudes, I mean, the numbers after about two look pretty bad, to be honest with you, based on the teachment study, but just going to use a bigger number. Um, they're bad prospects for a long-term relationship. It's the same thing as an employer. Like when I was an employer and I'm looking at resumes and job applications, if I saw guys bouncing around a lot, they're going to do the same thing to me. Why would I want to invest my time, effort, energy, and resources in somebody that's probably not going to be there in six months' time because they run off to the next job or they go on workman's comp or they pretend like they're sick or whatever, you know, like fill in the blank. That's that's one of the reasons. And again, when you're on my email list, you're going to start to see some of the notions that I talk about with business ideas where you want to generally try to stay away from having companies or running a business where you have employees because employees are a pain in the ass, right? They're going to leave the job. They're going to go to whatever's best for them. That's how men treat jobs, right? It's like, oh, that guy offers me more money. I'll probably go over there. But you have to keep in mind, it doesn't look good on your resume. Um, there's a lot of people that I looked at as candidates that had a lot of job history, okay? And I would just pass on them because there was people that didn't have that problem. I'd, I'd rather deal with somebody that I knew was coachable and workable and had the skills than somebody that had worked, you know, 10 jobs in the last two or three years. They're just bad prospects. Cavalier. Oh, this is a follow-up to that. Okay. 62 grand in engineering. I think I could make more in SE. I don't know what SE is. I got chem degree last year. Not sure I could keep my head down for a year, jump in my passion sales and engineer if I get an offer. Look, man, whatever you do, don't demonstrate on your resume that you're unreliable and that you bounce very quickly from job to job to job. You just employers don't like that. It's very simple. I'm prepared to tell you how you can get Andrew Tate to help you sell 500,000 to over a million copies of your book via his Twitter account. Okay. <clears throat> going to YouTube. I have similar. Okay. This guy's yo rich. I tried going to YouTube to watch the show, but I can't find it. It's similar. Okay. It's real simple here. Let me grab the link. So this is the YouTube link that I'm putting in all the chats. So this, if you're on Twitter, Twatch, Facebook, that's the YouTube watch link. Um, the ask a question link is there. You can uh, hit the StreamYard link. I think that I pin it at the top. Yeah, it's pinned at the top. So call, bring your questions. I'm going to run the ad reel, take a little bit of a break, and then we'll uh, continue with some call-in Q&A stuff and see what you guys got for me today, okay? 
This episode is brought to you by the Unplugged Alpha Supplements and Grondike Soap Company. Brothers, if you're like me and you take what you put in your body seriously, you'll want to use the Unplugged Alpha Supplements. An obsession with absorption is what sets this line apart from the others. You want to make sure that you absorb as much of the supplements as possible so you don't end up peeing out expensive urine. My supplement line is made in the United States from the highest quality domestic ingredients. And unlike cheaper supplements from China and plastic bottles, Mine ship in dark glass bottles to keep your supplements fresher, longer, and won't seep endocrine disrupting plastics into your supplements. Nothing is a hard tablet. Everything is in an easily digestible, bioavailable capsule. You can filter all products by various categories, including testosterone support, estrogen metabolism, fat burning, immune health, sleep support, and performance. Visit theunpluggedalpha.com forward slash shop and use the subscribe and save option to get 10% off your supplement orders or use coupon code alpha10 for 10% off a one-time order to try it out. And I use Tactical Soap and God of War beard oil every day. Tactical Soap is a handmade product made in the United States from ingredients you can actually pronounce, not conventional endocrine lowering toiletry chemicals. Both the soap and the beard oils are infused with bioidentical pheromones that are designed by a clinical psychologist and pheromone expert to maximize attractiveness to the opposite sex. Go visit coopersoap.com and get 10% off your order today. Guys, check out my website at richcooper.ca for more information on booking me for coaching, my community, my courses, and a whole bunch more. You can also find all the useful links pinned below in the top YouTube comment of all my videos. Now let's get on with the show. Okay. <clears throat> Sipping on that bone broth while that's running. Um, celebrate super chat. That's new. YouTube has a brand new celebrate thing. That's new. Okay. Uh, well, it looks like we got Greg Stevens here. Who's the Andrew Tate fan to sell books. Let's see what he's got for us. Is this the same? Hi, Rich, how are you doing? Uh, yes, it is. All right. What do you got for me, man? What's this? What's the super chat about? Well, um, good question. Um, you, you do want to sell more of your books. I, I take it. I mean, you, I don't know how many you've sold so far, but um, you need to get a lot of eyeballs uh, on your advertisements to, to, to sell more, to sell a half a million or a million copies. And Andrew Tate has the ability to do that for you. And there's a reason why he would do that. Okay. Because he would owe you a favor. Okay. So, um, you know, he's under house arrest and, and uh, he's very limited what he can do in his actions. Mm-hmm. He has access to Twitter. I don't think he's putting a lot of other content out because I think he's, he probably has some pretty strong restrictions on what he can, can and can't say. So what I think you could use your connections because you've been doing this for over 10 years and you, you have actually interviewed the guy before. So you may be able to, to reach out and contact him. And then you could have him um, put out a tweet calling for his followers to um, a call to action. So, look, uh, I get what you're saying, but I don't run that way, dude. Like, I can message Andrew right now on WhatsApp and he'll respond. Mm-hmm. I, I okay. is, uh, you know, Jewel, the sartorial shooter. I've seen some videos of him recently. Yeah, he's the tall Australian guy that runs in his crew. We, you know, we chat. I helped him out with stuff in his in his uh, personal life. Um, look, you know, when he says to me, "Hey, you know, do me a favor. I'd like to, you know, hop on a podcast to talk about what Andrew can't talk about right now." I don't say, uh-huh. 
you know, I'll do that if you put a tweet out selling my book. I just don't care. You know, I do it because I find it interesting. Like, I'm not in that economy where it's like, well, you know, mm-hmm. if I scratch your back and you scratch mine, it's like, I'll scratch your back. I like what you're doing. I want to have a conversation with you. Tell me what's going on. Tell me about Islam. Why do you live sure. in Dubai sort of thing? And, you know, let's, you know, if there's if there's stuff that they want to get out about what's happened with Andrew since he's been out of jail, I'm happy to talk about that too. But I'm not going to be mm-hmm. like, I'll only do that if you talk about my book or put out a tweet, right? Okay. Okay. That's fine. That's just how um, I am though. There are reasons, but other reasons why he would want to do that. Um, to Andrew's Andrew's a self promoter. He he's not the kind of guy that's going to promote other people's stuff, right? That's exactly exactly right. But the, the thing about the I, I think that people don't understand about Tate is that he talks like a revolutionary, but he's more of an entrepreneur, right? He's he's promoting his own ideas and directing people to his uh, his university, his Hustlers University, mm-hmm. to make money. Are you right. a part of his Hustlers University? Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. But what I'm saying is that is that if he was an actual revolutionary, then he would he would have a superpower. He he, ha- he has these all these followers that he could influence with a call to action, and and what this call to action would be would be to get his followers to donate one book to their school's library mm-hmm. in order to create a a personal development and young entrepreneurs library in each school that his followers attend. Okay. So, well, and then <laughs> look, man, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but I, I've got it under control, my man. Do you have any other questions or anything around the topic of money tonight? No, I, I figured as an entrepreneur, you'd be interested in hearing more about that. Um, I mean, trust me, my I'm, I'm doing just fine, but I appreciate the uh, chime in though. Thanks, Craig. See you buddy. All right, let's uh, see what Liam's got for us over here. We got Liam, Josh, Jeff. Let me grab Liam over here. Liam, what's up, buddy? How you doing, young man? Pretty good. Um, I just have a quick question on uh, your 1% community. Yeah. So I'll just have a – I'll give you a little quick uh, thing about me. So I'm only 17 years old. I got about 20,000 saved up right now. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if 1% community would be uh, good for me to join. No. No, no. Um, there's there's a starters group called the 10 percent and it's um, I think it's set up as a lifetime membership. So you pay, you know, the entrance fee you're in. Um, it's a staging ground. Get, you know, get to know some people. If there's a meetup, go out, and meet some people, contribute, ask, give, you know, wherever possible. Um, generally speaking, the guys that are more suitable for the one percent, they're guys that are little more seasoned they're generally 25 30 years old older they're making at least six figures they're not sitting around talking about happy wife happy life sort of conversations right they get in, get into more depth so it so at your age with where you're at if, if you're looking yeah. for a community if you want to surround yourself with guys doing stuff then i would join the 10 percent. it's uh, there's a link um here, let me get the banner so i can give it to you guys on the screen just in case anybody else it's just entrepreneursandcars.com forward slash community just join that that tier. I think it's nine ninety seven, and you know you're in. You okay. get started with that. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yep. All right, buddy. Take care. All right. Um, let's go over to 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 Josh. Uh, is that Josh? That's Josh. All right, Josh, you're up, buddy. Any question on the um, the chat? I don't know if you saw. Oh, sorry, on. Yeah, you know, private chat. Okay. It's in the private you know, chat. What, it says, "Why do some businesses have a cash only slash card open?" 
Why do businesses have a cash only card only? Uh, okay, what do you mean by card only? You know, like in some places, like they only accept cash mm -hmm. and some card. Oh, and or some specific card, like a MasterCard. Only. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's because certain cards have very high merchant fees, so they don't want to deal with them. Um, I used to work in a stereo store when I was in my late teens. And even like back then, I think Amex was charging somewhere between four to six percent. It was really high. So mm -hmm. we wouldn't even take Amex as a merchant payment processor. And if somebody came in and they wanted a deal on like a TV or, you know, set of speakers or, you know, something like that, we were always encouraged to ask them to pay with cash so we could get them a better deal to try to avoid the merchant fees. Because, I mean, you sell a, a two or three thousand dollar unit um and you've got a two percent merchant fee that's that's money out of their pocket like the owner of the company was so fastidious with money um he actually insisted that every single item that we sold it was 99 it was like you know 21.99 uh even if it was three thousand dollars it was three thousand dollars and 99 cents because he wanted that extra he called it a buck on every sale so you know, like margins aren't that good in many businesses, especially in retail, especially in restaurants. So wherever margins aren't that good, they usually have a either cash only policy or they don't accept certain credit cards because the merchant fees are too high. Okay. Does that make sense? Well, like, yeah, like if you think about like like drug dealers, so they always like expect you to pay with cash, don't they? Well, drug dealers can't like, accept say, credit, can they? Oh, yeah, because look, they don't want to get caught out. Like, I'm not sure I understand where you're going with this. Like, if you, you know, Breaking Bad, like, you know, when you first see TK, like, when, you, when Jesse shows him the crystal mess, mm -hmm. and TK gets a bag out of cash, mm -hmm. instead of like, oh, here's a bank transfer. Obviously, I don't know how it was, like, 2008. Well, you're dealing with the underground, dude. Like anything underground is yeah. cash only business, right? Yeah. It's got to be untraceable. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because you can go on your bank and trace. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, Josh. See ya. All right. Um, let's see here. Got Hanson. Hanson's waving his hand. <laughs> You're, you're, you're trying to get my attention. Is that what you're doing? Yes, yes. All yes. right, man. What do you got exactly for me? Exactly what I'm trying to do. Guys, uh, if you want to call in tonight, the link is pinned in the description of the YouTube live chat. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead, Hanson. Um, hello, Rich. Sorry for my English. Uh, I live in the Netherlands. My English is not my, the, the first language I speak, mm. but uh, I'll try my best. First of all, I want to thank you. I read your book. Uh, I bought like all the other books that you recommended, not all of them, but oh, good. you know, it's a, it's a start. It's a start okay. um, on like health wise. I really improved because of you. Uh, like the, I got even the st stainless steel bottle, the reverse osmosis, everything. Yeah. Okay. So I lost a lot of kilos. I do kickboxing mm -hmm. and your content really helped me, man. And um, even welcome. when there's, okay. there's a little bit sun, I go outside. Uh, get you know the vitamin d and listen to your podcasts mm -hmm. and um yeah i got a question um i i before i saw your content i already chose to do a, like a stem job mm -hmm. and uh, while i'm doing this stem job i know i should like focus to do it 
uh, to learn uh, programming like software engineering really good but i just get um i really want to make money next to it you know start a business do something but whenever i try to do something next to it my school grades go down so uh what what would you do like as a 20 year old i don't know i don't look 20 but you know you're in school street. right now yes i'm in school right now i study for software engineering in the, in the netherlands okay and so what's the plan like you want to go work for one of the fan companies or i i only want to work for you know for knowledge i don't want it for money i rather start my own business and uh, build something up like my mm -hmm. dad always said somebody that works for himself always earns more than somebody that works for somebody else so you know yeah. uh, i i got that programmed in me but yeah while i'm studying like it's it's really difficult to stay off like other things uh, what would you do as a 20 year old and whenever i make a little bit money how would you spend your money like would you do like spend it in crypto would you try to start a business next to it or just focus on school and training and eating healthy so let's deal with percentages rather than the amount of money because i think percentages are easy to work with right so mm -hmm. for a guy your age you should you should probably look because because you're 20 you got a lot of life ahead of you you got more life ahead of you than i got ahead of me okay <laughs> i got less life ahead of me than i do behind me because i'm yes, because i'm yes. not old now right so i mean the thing about guys your age is you can afford to make mistakes you can afford to um, make money later, like making money today, saving money today, you know, at 20, it might make mm -hmm. a little bit of sense. So I would, so I would dedicate a percentage of your income to that, maybe 10, 15, 20% max, whatever. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And within that, I would, I would probably put a good chunk of that into crypto. Uh, you know, I've said for years, Bitcoin, I don't, I don't like any of these dipshits out there that are pushing these shit coins that are probably never going to go anywhere you know exactly, they're just trying to pump exactly. their own bag you know so the, so there's those problems but i would invest a lot of the money into yourself in areas like you've already got a stack of books on your table read those books yeah. right like if I'm you're going to get into mind. engineering you know if you're going to get into programming hooked is a great book because it talks about how they engineer habit forming products right yeah exactly um i had dan martell on my playing the win podcast i, I saw last that week, i saw that and he he knows exactly how to engineer habit forming products, which is why he made reference to that book as well. So, I would invest like with knowledge, read books, listen to audio books, listen to podio, uh, pod podcasts. Um, did you get my school of entrepreneurship course? No, no, I uh, I applied for the mill uh, thing, but I didn't get it yet. But I'm I definitely want to get it. You know. So, yeah. Uh, so so it'll be up at the end of the month. I think May first will be the launch date for it. And if you're on my email list, right. entrepreneursandcars.com forward slash red dead flag, red dash flags, you can get the free chapter on red flags for my book if you haven't read it. And you can also get it on my email list. That's where you'll get the best offer to buy my course. The course has everything that you need to, there's like six hours of material in there now. It, it's It's got lots and lots of material in there that explain what the best entrepreneurs do when they engineer their business versus mm -hmm. what some of the more struggling type of entrepreneurs do like i've done both i've run hard businesses that suck and i've run you know easy and lucrative and fun businesses that don't suck nearly as much yeah. so that's that's so I've, nice I've about put, you. you 
I've put all of that information into the course. So invest in yourself is what I'm saying, right? Read, uh, watch documentaries, listen to audio books, you know, if like go on uh, Twitter and, and say, Hey, you know, I've got an audible credit. What's a good book on, what are you interested in? Business, engineering, writing code, whatever it happens to be, you know, and then go and listen to that thing next. Um, yeah, yeah. that's, that's where I would spend time, money and resources at that age. Because you're going to get your head squared away. Again, you know, if your long-term plan is not to work for somebody and to create your own business, then understand what kind of business that you want to engineer then, right? Yes, yes. That's really important. And yeah, I thought like, well, getting all the knowledge and starting a business right now and getting the experience is like important too. But what you are saying right now, what I understood from it, um, like focus on learning focus on investing in yourself and yeah. the rest will come like yeah that's it all right you're on the right path my man yes rich by the way um i want i want to make you my uh you the guy that's that's my like accountability partner i don't know how to say it bro look at me now look live like fat i'm fat i'm not even going to joke about it Okay. Six months. I'm gonna be ready for a kickboxing match, and you're Good. gonna see me in six months. Wait a second. I don't. You know don't need to take off your clothes. It's okay. No, okay. I, no, no, it's my clothes. Just like the like okay. how I'm here, you know. But I won't do it. Uh, maybe you get a ban or something like that. I don't want to cast <laughs> that. You know. All right. Do it, man. Hey, Rich, thank you. Show thank me. you a lot. I will. Okay. I'm gonna show you six months. Okay, I man. Swear. Appreciate it. Thanks. All take right. care. Thanks. So. All right, Dave, my brother, what's up, my man? Rich, good to see you. Good to see you again. So um, I wanted to just, you know, kind of chop it up a little bit about the difference between credit and debit transactions Yeah. that uh, a lot of folks don't really, I think, understand the difference between the two and they're kind of, uh, kind of key, right? Mm -hmm. So like, um, you know, when you're using a debit card, you're using essentially your bank's protections with your transactions in case it gets stolen and that kind of thing and they'll protect up to a certain amount and they may or may not refund a certain amount of your losses if somebody steals your card mm -hmm. whereas like visa and mastercard and those guys they'll usually just say yep looks like bad transactions here's all your money back you know here's a new card you're you're good to go mm -hmm. your banks don't protect you quite as well in that in that particular world and uh, there's there's also issues that you can run into like you know your your credit card they'll they'll let you authorize up to however much in a given day whereas your bank may have you know kind of a transaction limit and you'll start bumping into that early um so you can spend a good chunk of money but not quite everything and then go to the gas station and go to get authorized for you know i think they'll usually pull like 100 to 150 dollars usd mm -hmm. and if that goes above your transaction limit for the day you won't be able to transact and you might be walking home from a gas station there you know yeah that kind of thing i mean at the end of the day you want to work yourself into a position where credit doesn't matter right it's like exactly um you know you've got plenty of credit you've got you know multiple cards that work you don't pay fees on the cards you're using the cards they don't use you like when i travel exactly. i go to the vip lounge you know with my card when i buy stuff with my card I'm getting points to travel for free. When I buy stuff, I pay it off in full. When the bill comes, I'm not paying interest, right? Like, yeah. Like you've heard the term deadbeat before. 
mm-hmm. the real deadbeat aren't the guys that are in collections paying interest penalties and fees on all these financial instruments the real deadbeats are guys like me because they don't really make any money off guys <laughs> exactly. like me you might, you might get transaction fees out of somebody like you yeah but that's about it and they don't like that that yeah interest it, is way it, it doesn't even cover the cost of of the travel rewards it doesn't cover the cost of the airport lounges that i sit in eating and drinking their booze or whatever you know i'm doing when i'm in there like it doesn't cover any of that stuff so right when you're smart with credit and you don't really need it then they're going to come after you and they're going to want to offer you all these benefits and limits and perks and all this sort of stuff it's it's just not a cool world it's not sexy having debit cards credit cards and all these things they can put plastic gold metal whatever the hell they want in it right like they've got those amex centurion mm-hmm. cards now which are like the premium cards there's probably something better than that today but I don't know. iridium covered in snot or something yeah yeah like, <laughs> have have credit you know for your convenience but not for any other reason other than right. that and be a deadbeat like me you know where you're not paying fees right it's a good idea if i mean if you can muster the discipline to use your credit card but always keep it paid off you know and yeah. just treat it more or less like your debit card if you got to use your debit card then kind of treat it like a debit card and actually run it as credit because then you get the better protection through Visa and MasterCard as opposed to your bank. A lot of folks don't actually realize that. What are the fees on the debit card transactions when you're buying? Uh, usually usually similar to what you'd pay on any regular credit card. They might be a little bit lower, you know, half a percent. Or Do they have debit cards with um, flat fees? You know, if you keep a certain balance or no fees, if you keep a certain balance, they've got those too, right? Yeah. Yeah, credit unions is especially. Um, I, I've got a couple different ones that are that are like that, where yeah. they basically just you know use it all you like as long as you're banking through us, we're happy. You know, yeah, kind of thing. Got it. So all right, cool anyway. man. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, good to chat. See you, brother. By the way, while we're on the topic of credit, one of the things that I get asked that didn't pop up yet here in the show, if you want to have a good credit rating, it's actually very very simple. One. Never charge more than 50% of your limit. So if you have a credit card with a limit of $10,000, do not charge more than five grand on that. Some people will say you can go up to 75%, you can go up to whatever percent. Here's what ends up happening. When you start to approach your credit limit, then they have some sort of algorithm that fires off and says, oh, we have a credit risk situation here. Because... Most people don't know this, but if you exceed your limit, you're not responsible to pay what's over your limit. This might be different in other countries, but this is the way things were set up here. But your limit's 10 grand. And for some bizarre reason, it, you know, they charge through to eleven or twelve thousand dollars or something like that. You're not technically liable for what's over your limit, right? So that's why they have those trigger warnings there in the algorithm. So never charge more than half of whatever your limit is. If you need to routinely charge for expenses, for, for travel, for whatever, you know, your handling happens to be because you're a big baller, you're a top G or whatever, and you roll 20 grand a month on your credit card, have a limit of 40 grand, right? So there's that. Uh, pay it off when it's due. Very simple. Um, and don't go shopping around for credit. If your credit sucks and you start going applying for let's say car loans right like you want a new vehicle you want to lease something like that and you go to honda then you go to acura then you go to hyundai then you go to toyota and you're going to all these places and they're all turning you down your your credit score is going to go in the toilet right so there's that too uh don't move around a lot 
Okay. So don't change your address. Don't, don't update your address with your creditors, with your banks, with your credit card companies frequently. You'd be surprised. There's, there's people that update their information three times a year. Um, they don't like people like that. You're not trustworthy. You're not credit worthy because you're not stable. They want stable people that they can find because if you don't pay, they need to know where you're at. And if you're the kind of person that moves around a lot, your credit worthiness starts to go down. Those would be the main ones, right? So pay it off in full, never charge more than 50%. Uh, I wouldn't use credit cards for cash advances or anything like that. That's never a good idea because they charge you interest from the day that you take the cash advance, not when your statements do. So if there's 20 days between when you take the cash advance and when your statements do, they generally charge you interest from day one, not when the statements do. So keep that in mind too. Um, those would be the main ones. All right. Um, what do we got here? We got art in the house. Let's give it to art. Art. What's up, buddy? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for taking my calls. Actually, my first time watching live. But cool. uh, uh, recently, I was in a relationship that lasted six years. I'm not going to get too much into it. I was one-itis, pretty bad. And uh, I ended up buying, not buying, I ended up getting a couple credit cards, trying mm -hmm. to save the relationship type deal. You were trying to and save I'm, a relationship with credit cards? Well, it was more of the what I was doing with the credit cards, like what I was buying, what I, what I was trying to take her to do, you know? What, was it like buying her experiences, buy her love, buy her gifts? Yeah, like kind of like a, yeah, just like that. And, so you tried and to save so, the relationship by buying her stuff? Yeah. Yes, I did. That didn't work, obviously. <laughs> it did not. Okay, so what happened next? Um, yeah, I just uh, spent a lot of money with the credit cards, and now I'm kind of paying the price for it, like literally. And I, I kind of wanted, wanted to ask, because I missed the beginning part of the show, like mm. what, what kind of like strategy should I do? I'm, I'm like 11K right now and I'm already, you know, I got a son and I'm moving into a new place and so money's already tight and just mm. trying to think of maybe some strategies or some, something I can get in my head that your, might help. Your son's mother was a woman that you were in the six-year relationship with? Actually, no, no. Uh, my okay. son is nine, so he was born a little bit before. Okay, so the yeah. six-year relationship is not your son's mother? No, no. So she's gone, but you have the debt from that relationship? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I, and and it's funny. I don't want to get into it, but, but yeah. Yeah, basically that's it. Okay. So what's the question here? Like, what's the best way to handle it? Yeah, like I heard you mention bankruptcy and... I don't know much about it. I probably should be looking more into it. Um, Where do you live in I Canada have, or I the U S I mean, I live in uh, California. Okay. And, and it's only $11,000. Yeah. It's like, well, and then I got my student loans, mm. but those I'm still in school. So I'm not paying that right now. And mm. kind of just focusing on my car. Cause I can't, I can't lose that. So it's car. And then isn't it, isn't it interesting that student loans are really the only debts that you can't go bankrupt on? Yeah. Go to school, go get that edu education. But if you screw up, you know, with your credit, you can never really go bankrupt on that stuff. I know anyway, some situations, that's, that's that even here. if you die, your family has to pay something. No, um, unless they've, unless they've co-signed for a loan, nobody else is liable once you die. Once you die, the debt's gone. Oh, okay. It's like, you know, um, there used to be debts that would show up in collection agencies and you'd, and you'd call them up and they'd be like, yeah, he died two years ago. And then all you really needed was a copy of the death, cer death certificate 
and then they would just discharge the debt and it would just shut up it would just go away sort of thing um so as far as 11 grand like are you in school full-time you're a full-time student or do you work right now too uh, no, I'm, well, I'm actually at work right now, but um, uh -huh. I work full time and I'm a student online school right now. So Do you make good money. Like what's your income like? Uh, it's it's OK for where I live, but it's it's I'm still struggling. I, I guess you can say struggling. And what's your annual? Then? Uh, it's like 50, 50 K. OK, so the first question that I would ask when I was dealing with this in my debt business was is what you're doing right now, paying down the balance. And if so. Let's deal with that first. So is it getting paid down? Um, I've been paying minimum, basically, like you were saying earlier, I've been doing the minimum payments. So you haven't seen it go down then? No, I haven't okay, seen so it go down in quite a bit. Okay, so that plan clearly doesn't work. What are the interest rates? Uh, the biggest one, they're, they're like 20, 26, 26, 20, 28. There's two of them that are the main ones. Okay. So... I mean, guys, the first lesson here is don't try to buy your way out of a sinking relationship by buying her stuff or experiences because now she's gone and he's dealing with the consequences of this, right? <clears throat> so as far as options go, 11 grand's not that much. If you can put more on it to pay it off within the next six to 12 months, I would I would do that, right? To go bankrupt for $11,000 wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? Um, if you had no assets whatsoever, or if you had assets that were exempt from the bankruptcy, you know, for example, like if your vehicle's old, it's worth a few thousand dollars, it's probably going to be exempt from the bankruptcy, right? Like you'll be able to keep it, um, tools, the trade, you know, household items, stuff like that. You'll probably be able to keep all of it. In my view, I would get a consultation with a bankruptcy trustee. What do they call them in the States? A, a bankruptcy lawyer? Yeah, I think so. At least, at least get a consultation to see what it would look like. And then I would also get a, a consultation with a debt settlement company. Uh, you live in California, um, freedomdebtrelief.com. Just jot that down. It's owned by my friend, Andrew Hauser. He's a good guy. I've known him for years. Um, I used to, I mean, we'd have long conversations about all kinds of stuff in the debt settlement world back when I was doing it sort of stuff. And his business is solid. So I would recommend getting a quote from a bankruptcy trustee and from his debt settlement company, and then just weigh them out and look at which one looks best for your scenario. You don't have any assets. You don't have a house. You don't have any. No, just, just my car right now. You don't have any savings or anything like that? No. No? You don't have any investments? Uh, no. Okay. So those would be your two best options then. All right. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it. Next time, don't try to save a relationship by buying her heart. <laughs> okay. Thank All right, bro. Take care. Never a good idea to do that. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's give it to Aaron here. Let's see what he's got for us. Aaron, what's up, buddy? Hey. Nice to meet you again. Um, Holy smokes. Look at that book collection on the shelf back there. <laughs> Holy cow. All right. Yeah. Cars are pretty good too. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. What do you got uh, for me tonight? Yeah, so I was wondering, like, I've got a Capital One at Costco, and it's only like, I don't know, a couple grand there. And then um, on my other, like, MBNA, I've got, like, 20-plus grand credit limit. Like, what's what's going on over there? Sorry, so on your on your MBNA credit card, you got a limit of 20 grand? Yeah. And what's the balance on it? Do you have anything owed on it? Nothing. 
Okay. And then yeah. the other one you said was what? Uh, was Capital One is through Costco. Uh-huh. And how come they only give me like a thousand dollar credit limit? And I've kind of like, I've called them about it and they're like dragging their feet. Like, do you know what's the deal there? Oh, it's a credit limit question. Okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's funny because I have a Costco card too and it has a rather low limit, but I don't spend that much at Costco. Um, yeah, it, it's it's probably something that you could get extended. I mean, there's some pretty expensive shit you can buy at Costco, okay. right? So you could charge that up, and I'm sure they would want that business. But, I mean, if they're not going to give you an increase in the limit, yeah. what are your options, really? What I did was actually, I, I, I really complained to them. I was like, why are you only giving me this much? Yeah. So then Are I you just- carrying a balance on the Costco card? Nothing. Everything. I, I don't have it's any. Paid debt. off in full. It's paid I, off in full. I, I yeah, it's paid in full. Yeah. And so what I did, I it's like okay, if you guys aren't going to give me any credit, uh, any more credit limits, so I mm-hmm. just used my MBNA at Costco and yeah. rack it up there. And <laughs> I'm not going to well, go bankrupt. So. Um, do you have the executive membership or the basic one? Like, which one do you have? Executive. Yeah. Yeah. I I think the limit on my card's about two and a half maybe three thousand it's not that high um i've got an executive membership too but but i was wondering if maybe like you know something to do with the tier because they give you so much based on each tier the other thing too is you also get the cash rebate at the end of the year depending on how much you spend so one of the things that you can do so one of the things that i had to do at one time was i needed a credit card for a business but they would only give me a twenty thousand dollar limit and they were like yeah we'll give you more of a limit but we need to see your books, your tax returns. We need to, you know, get all this and the other thing. I'm like, my accountant's not going to have that ready for a few months. Look, I've got cash in my account. You see the cash flow. So what I did instead of bothering them to increase the limit, Aaron, is I just paid off the balance every week. So, you know, it would charge up. I'd pay it down. It would charge up a week later. I would pay. It was a bit of a pain in the ass, but I just set a reminder on my phone. Like every Friday, I would just go and chuck, you know, money on the balance just to pay it down. So I didn't exceed more than 50% of the limit, like that rule I was talking about earlier. Yeah. And eventually, once I got my taxes filed and my accountant did all my bookkeeping, then I could submit all the shit that they wanted to see, my financial statements and the records. And then they upped the limit then. Um, that's that's just the reality of credit, man. You know, the golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. And if you're asking for credit, you're basically asking them to give you access to more purchasing power. And if they don't feel like you can, you know, responsibly use that purchasing power, then they generally don't give it away to you, which is fucking hilarious because there's case after case after case of banks and credit card companies giving credit cards to three-year-olds <laughs> legitimately. Like they would send applications in the mail and I've, and I've seen this over and over again where Parents would just be like, well, they sent it to my, you know, four-year-old son, so I'm just going to fill it out and send it in and see what they do. And they would get credit cards with a limit of two or $3,000, right? So I think that some of the credit crunches that we've seen over the last, you know, especially since 2008, have forced them to tighten up on their underwriting a little bit. Um, that's probably just a Capital One policy, you know, with their Costco product. But it is what it is, man. Like, if you need access to the extra credit, then just buy, pay down, buy, pay down. That's what I would do. All my parents did back in the day, this is in the early 90s, uh, my mom would always come with checks. <laughs> yeah. Her big, her big like uh, briefcase 
and like yeah but then you never get the cash back rebates right like i get a check every year from from the card and from costco for close to a thousand bucks you know for my spending you know so it's like you know you want those you want those rebate points oh yeah right that's also not taxable income too by the way right okay well yeah i yeah. I, I just don't anyway. understand why the the uh the difference between capital one and mbna why mbna mbna is giving me more credit limit versus different capital one, so. yeah it's a different company dude it's it's totally a different company it's a different product line no. you'll get like i know that there's credit issuers um Let's just use Capital One as an example. Let's say that Capital One issues credit for Best Buy, Home Depot, and Walmart, right? They're going to have different limits depending on what the what the retail outlet is and what they are willing to offer the customers there. And also, you know, depending on what kind of customer you are. Like if you're a contractor that goes to Home Depot and you need to buy like, you know, 10 grand worth of shit for a job. Um, you need to have access to the credit. So they'll have different credit facilities depending on, you know, what status or what sort of area you're in. That's just the way that they operate. They, they've always done it that way. Okay. All right. All right. I understand. You, buddy. All right, man. Um, all right, let's do, what do we got? Another five minutes. I usually wrap up at the 90 minute mark. So I'll take one more call here and uh, let's give it to Drizzo. Drizzo? I don't know. I'm totally messing that up, man. What do you got for me tonight? No, it's uh, it's Jay Rizzo. Jay Rizzo, Thanks, okay. Sir. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate it. All right. Um, the only thing I was uh, <laughs> hold on, I got echo, echo. Hold on. Um, yeah, with the whole credit thing, you know, I agree. Keep it down. You know, believe like fifty. You know, like fifty percent. So I do that. But the reason why I called in was I was gonna ask about your thoughts on i was gonna ask no. on your thoughts on anheuser-busch yeah we talked about this on uh saturday on the general show uh, look uh, i mean if you don't like what what corporations are putting out there and and how they're using marketing dollars it's pretty clear to me that whoever ran this marketing campaign for uh what's his name dylan mulvaney Whatever. Yeah, it was like it, Dylan Mulvaney. Look, he's, whatever. He's pretending not, to be trans and like a little girl running around a hotel. That's that's not right. It, it's 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 pretty clear, you know, what his shtick is. He's just doing it, you know, f- for the attention. But the whole notion that Anheuser Busch or whoever the parent company is of Bud Light uh, has given uh, is basically hired idiots for their marketing team, and then giving sure. those idiots free reign to do whatever they want because in the past like when Gillette did that um thing with the whole toxic masculinity remember they're yeah, a few years Gillette. ago you know, the razors yeah and, um they lost something like 15 to 20 percent of their uh quarterly profits because of that stupid stunt and that would be a known fact for most big corporations so i find it hard to believe that the leadership of bud light just said, oh, yeah, let's go and do this because it seems like a good idea when they have a fiduciary duty to increase shareholder value. They have, a, they have a duty to their shareholders to return a profit. And if they allow, you know, silly marketing decisions and strategies, when like if you go look at their last uh, like 20 years of advertising, it's all pretty women in bikinis 
with buff guys drinking beer on pickup trucks and fast cars and stuff like like that's their entire marketing strategy that's that's worked and then they go and pivot to this because i don't know if you know who the gal is that runs the marketing team but she's all over the twitter feeds now there's a video of her talking about it and they have her linkedin profile and it's the she her pronoun crowd you know the alphabet crowd sort of thing so they gave this gal free reign to a bunch of idiots in the marketing team and they're going to pay for it and the shareholders will probably pay for it too um that's my thoughts on it it's just dumb i don't i don't think it's a good use of corporate resources i certainly wouldn't invest any money in corporations that are all doing all this woke shit uh, they don't get money from yep. people. People will vote with their wallet and not buy their stuff anymore. It's you know it's pretty simple. I I totally agree. That's why I canceled my Disney Plus. That's why I'm not uh, doing Anheuser Busch. That's why. I mean, it's Miller. Miller is still a woke mm-hmm. company, but the fact that they're not promoting a man who wants to be a woman who is not representing women and he even goes so far as to pretend he's a six-year-old girl i don't weird that's that's weird yeah that's that's why i'm not doing it yeah not doing it and at the end of the day why would you even want to drink beer though i mean like beer is is laced with crap and it acts as estrogen in your body anyway it's not good for you I mean, I get some people like the taste and they like, you know, the buzz and sort of thing. But at the end of the day, like you're giving these woke nut jobs your money to really poison yourself. That's my take on it. I, I understand that. I really do. <laughs> I really do. That's why, that's why I switch between beer and vodka, because vodka is more of a pure potato alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's my take on it, man. You have yourself all a good right. night. All right. Appreciate it. See you, buddy. All right, so let's wrap it up on that note. Uh, I want to thank you guys for uh, watching the show. Again, uh, do get on my email list because the School of Entrepreneurship opens up for enrollment. I'm going to open up on May 1st. Uh, You're going to get the offer with the uh, discount, the early bird uh, paid in crypto. Um, And I'll pump out some of the stuff that's in the course as as it sort of comes up there so if you're not on my email let's get on it there's some there's some cool shit on my email list too by the way um the one that i'm getting the most feedback on since it was brought up earlier on in the show um the guy that was talking about the um andrew tate thing with the book whatever um i did a private podcast with uh tristan um year or two ago talking about his strategy around god mode and how he deals with relationships with multiple women and kids and all that sort of stuff it's a private video on the email list. So when you opt in, that will be one of the emails that'll be served to you. Lots of useful stuff on my email list. Um, I don't send out crap anyway, guys. Thanks for watching today. Want to, uh, express my gratitude and appreciation. Make sure you leave a like and a comment below. It's been an awesome show and we'll be back next week with the next, uh, in the series part two, we still have to cover, um, making bank and investing money. So we'll talk about those in the other shows. Have an amazing night. Peace.